The scripture for this Easter Sunday is 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 10. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May he write it on our hearts by faith. One thing that we all have in common is that life is full of ups and downs. We all desire joy and peace and fulfillment, and there's things that people all over the world and throughout all times have wanted from life. No matter where they come from, what people group they're a part of, what generation they live in, joy and peace and fulfillment and love, these are things that we all desire, but if we're honest, sometimes life does not provide them. For us, in fact, it provides the opposite. I don't know if you're of an age to uh, go Easter egg hunting, um, but you may remember Easter egg hunting. And part of the mystery and the excitement of hunting Easter eggs is you don't know what's going to be inside. You don't know what's going to be inside. It could be something great. Maybe you had that aunt or that grandmother that once in a while would slip cash in your Easter egg. Uh, You could open it up and there may be some good chocolate or a candy bar you love. Or you may open it up and it's the Harry Potter jelly beans that taste like gross stuff. Or you could open it up and there's nothing inside and you take it to grandma and you're like, it's just like the tomb, it's empty, just like Jesus wasn't in the tomb. And you're like, give me my candy. This is a good picture of what life is like. It may be exciting in an Easter egg hunt, but often life doesn't provide for us what we hope it will. We open up the Easter egg of our life and we don't know what's going to be inside. We want joy, we want fulfillment, we want peace and love. But the constant roller coaster that this life and our emotions is and what it's like to live in a suffering and a broken world and in a broken body, and in broken relationships, in a broken community, in a broken church, we never quite know what the circumstances are going to give us. Wouldn't it be great if we could find something that provided that joy, and that peace, and that love, and that fulfillment? No matter our circumstances, no matter the inward strife, or the outward strife that we experience. Let's go to the Heavenly Father and ask him to provide that for us tonight. Father, we come to you and we want to hear from you. Thank you that we have something to sing about here tonight. Thank you that 
you have spoken to us through your word and through your spirit and through your people, and we want to hear from you this Easter Sunday, and we want to hear um, about the joy and the fulfillment and the peace and the love that we can experience because of the reality, Jesus, of your resurrection. We pray that you would speak to us now. I pray that you would give me clarity of speech and wisdom to speak, and God, ultimately, that you would speak to each one here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible, God's word, is great for many reasons, but one of the things that I appreciate most about it is that it's written by people that are going through things. They're going through real life, just like you and I are. Most of the things that we read have been highly published. They've been peer-reviewed, they've been edited, they've been produced. Often they've been put together just to sell it to us. It's been through rounds and rounds of editing and proofing and publishing and mass marketing before it gets in front of our eyes. The Bible is not like this. It's written by real people that are going through real things over thousands of years. So when we open it up, we find familiar things. We find familiar life situations. We find familiar emotions and thoughts and experiences. We see one of those right here in the middle of the passage that Andrew read for us when we hear the Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus, spoken to by the Spirit of God and told to go and be his missionary and tell everyone about him. Paul and the churches that he's writing to in the majority of the New Testament are going through something. When we see here tonight, we see right in the middle of our passage, he says, by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. First, we have to realize a couple of things. The Apostle Paul and the other apostles in the first century church, this is the reality that they were going through. They had been called by God. Some had even seen the death of Jesus and then the resurrected Jesus in bodily form. Yet this is what they were going through. The other reality that we have to be honest about here tonight is that some people are still going through this. Believers all over the world are going through these kind of calamities and this kind of suffering right here, right now, even in a world that we call modern There's still people going through situations like this. Even if we are not currently going through a situation like this, we know what it's like to suffer and to experience anguish over the things that are going on in our life. Whether it's a chronic illness, the loss of a loved one, strife in human relationships, or even just a loss in meaning, There are things that we have found fulfillment and meaning and great joy in that for whatever reason, we no longer find that same meaning, that same happiness, that same sense of joy from those things anymore. Even if this isn't the earthly situation, the physical situation we're going through, we know what it feels like to be in anguish. We're in a negative feedback loop living in this fallen world where we suffer because of outside circumstances, because of the things that are going on in our world, because of sin done against us, because we live in a broken world, because we live in a world with unjust people, with 
unjust systems. We live in a world where outside circumstances can cause us to suffer. These things, these relationships, these systems that are broken, it causes us to have an inward strife. It causes us to have things that we struggle with in our emotions, in our thoughts, even in our body. And so then we're in a negative feedback loop where our outside circumstances are causing an inward strife. And then that inward strife creates more negative, broken circumstances in every relationship, in all of our work, and even in our church community. So we get into a negative feedback loop. When we face these challenges, what are some of the things that we tend to do? Let's look at a few. First, we hide, run, and ignore. We run away from the brokenness. We run away from the strife. We run away from the negative emotions or the negative relationships or experiences or the job or the work or the, the school that is causing us to have strife or negative feelings. So we run away from it. In the animal kingdom, there are three kinds of dormancy that animals go into. There is estivation, which is cold-blooded animals trying to stay cold in summertime. There is hibernation, which you've probably heard about and comes to your mind right away. That happens in winter when warm-blooded animals try and stay warm. Then there's brumation, which is animals that burrow underground to avoid the elements. Whatever the reason is, it's the environment that the animal lives in that affects the kind of dormancy behavior that it displays. We're very much the same. Whatever environment we find ourselves in, whatever unique experiences we have had, even our biology leads us to certain kinds of running and hiding and ignoring the difficulties that we find in our life. Another way of dealing with these challenges is to hustle, to just work harder, to just go faster, to just achieve more. So we pursue education, we pursue purpose, we uh, pursue achievement, athletic accomplishment, we pursue everyone liking us, we uh, pursue getting more done and being more productive and utilizing technology to get even more done and to schedule our lives like crazy and to work out harder and to get better grades and get our promotion and get a raise and we hustle and we try to make our lives better. And the real dangerous part of the modern hustle is that we can get a lot done. We can be so productive. We can get so many things accomplished. We can achieve so many things that look good and feel good and other people pat us on the back, but ultimately we are running away from our problems. And we're creating more and more strife for ourselves and others until we crash. We can no longer hustle and we can no longer ignore the difficulties in our life. This is a modern way to deal with challenges and it's a positive manifesting. It's the idea of if we just 
think hard enough on making things positive, on making things better, on achieving, we can make a better life for ourselves. If we just, if we have enough ideation about a better life, if we just think positively, if we are just more thankful people, if we master our thought life, if we speak good into the world, then we will produce more good in the world. There's a phrase, a brilliant phrase by C.S. Lewis in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He explains the world under a curse as being always winter, but never Christmas. And whether you know the book or not, as soon as you hear that phrase, you know what it's implying. Always winter, but never Christmas. What a drag, right? That's what C.S. Lewis is getting at. It's always winter. It's all the bad parts of winter without the best part of winter. But as I look at the world around us, as as I experience spring, I think that there's something that our world also struggles with that's very similar. And it's celebrating spring with no Easter. What do people celebrate when they don't celebrate and believe in the resurrection of Jesus? They celebrate spring. They celebrate that it's getting warmer. They celebrate that there's flowers starting to bud up from the ground. There's vegetation starting to come to life. The, the dead and broken things are, are dying and you pull them away and something beautiful is below it. We celebrate the sunshine and the warmer weather and students lay out on the Pentecost and study or nap or check Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But all of those things are just hope and hope. It's hope in things are finally getting better because it's getting warmer. And trust me, I rejoice in that as much as any of you. It has been amazing weather. I see 81 degrees coming up on Wednesday, and I'm like, how can I be outside all day? It's great. It's awesome. But there's got to be more. Especially in Iowa. It might still snow, people. (laughs) Did you enjoy spring yesterday? Because it might be gone tomorrow. It might snow tomorrow or it might just be 80 and 90 and humid until September when it snows again. Spring is a blip on the radar. It can also be called allergy season in in Iowa as well. If our hope is in spring, if our hope is in hope, if our hope is in better weather, if our hope is opening the egg and there's good things inside of it, we're in for a world of hurt. And we don't have to make believe or I don't have to make you think through this in order to get there. You know, this is the way life works. Just around the corner are things we don't expect that undercut our peace, our fulfillment, our joy, the love that we want to experience. And all these lead to just self-destructing. Because when we realize that these things don't work, Or if we try all of them and none of them work, we're left with despair that leads to self-destruction. Where we give in to the things of this world, the hedonism that this life has to offer. And it's just a chasing after the wind. The consequences of living these four ways is vast. The longer we ignore our problems, the more they get worse. The longer we don't obey God and control the things we can control, the things out of our control become even more out of our control. 
The more we hustle, the harder we crash. The positive manifesting is oblivious to the pain of real life in ourselves and others. And hedonism and self-destruction is always just chasing that first high that hedonism can give us, but it leads to a spiral of destruction. So what do we do? Let's continue on. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 6 through 7. We endure by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So Paul gives us a description here, a prescription of what we need to do in order to overcome all of those situations that we need to endure, all the strife, instead of running away from our problems, instead of hustling, instead of the positive manifestation, instead of the self-destruction, this is what we need in our life. We need a moral purity that stands strong in a world of hedonism. We need knowledge in a world that is inundated with information but lacks wisdom. We need patience to endure the ups and downs of life. We need kindness in a world that is more and more tribalized and segregated and calling anyone who disagrees with us evil. We need genuine love, not just tolerance. We need truthful speech when we live in a world of lives. We need spiritual weapons against the forces of evil and we need the power of God through the work of the spirit. Sounds great, doesn't it? But how? How are we going to do all of that? Because if you're like me and you're in this negative feedback loop, you can't figure out what you're supposed to do first. And you can't get yourself out of the rut you have made for yourself. So we read a list like Paul is writing here and say, I don't know where to start. Or I've tried all of that. Or you don't know how bad the pain is or how big the loss is. So how? How do we go about experiencing the kind of life that we want and God wants for us? Paul goes on. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters yet are true. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul here is allowing for the reality that we live in a broken world. He would agree with everything that we have said to this point. He says we're enduring these imprisonments and these beatings and this strife and this internal pain and this external threat. We're experiencing all of that. And he has this balance back and forth in this list of things. He identifies the reality of our strife, yet he says there can be something more. And he says the reason is because it looks like we have nothing, yet in Christ we possess everything. Paul here is telling us that we need to possess something that cannot be taken away from us. We need to possess something that cannot be taken away by our circumstances, our emotions, sin done to us, or our own sin. We need to possess something bigger. That thing that we need to possess is the peace and the power of God. Before we can know the power and peace of God, we need to look to the suffering servant and what Jesus did for us. 
Because not only are we not the first ones to go through strife, Jesus, the God-man, fully man, fully God, went through some of the things that Paul is describing here that the church is going through. Let's look to the Easter story this evening. Matthew 27. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In our moments of strife, in our moments of suffering, we look to our suffering servant who knows what it's like to go through loss, betrayal, mocking. He possessed everything, yet he was mocked as if he had nothing when he was on that cross. When others looked at him, they saw a joke. When others looked at him, they saw a fraud. But when we look to our suffering servant, we see and we find everything that we need. Because the rest of the story is in Matthew 28. But the angel said to the women who had come to the tomb, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. This is the reality of Easter. That Jesus called his shot and he rose from the grave just as he said he would because he was God. He possessed everything. He looked on that cross as if he had nothing. He looked as he was carried to that tomb by others as if he had nothing, yet he possessed everything. The keys to life and death he held in his hands and by the power of spirit and the will of God, he didn't stay in the tomb, but he rose from the grave. Only God can do that. So we look to our suffering servant who is also a resurrected king. We need a suffering servant to die in our place, but we need a resurrected king to tell us that there is hope when all we see is death. He can bring good and life and victory and peace and joy and love and fulfillment out of the most dire circumstances. That's how we know that we can have hope no matter what is going on in our life. We can look to him when times are hard. We can look to him when we want to give up. We can look to him when we don't know what to do. We can look to him when we feel forsaken. 
He is the one thing that cannot be taken away from us because it is him holding on to us. If it was up to me to hold on to Jesus, I would have dropped him a long time ago. But it's him that's holding on to us. And he offers us his power, his peace, his love. And he offers us the hope that is not hope in hope, but is hope in resurrection life. Because he rose from the dead, we will rise. Because he rose from the dead, we can see victory out of the most dire, awful circumstances. For some of you, I know your story. Many of you, I don't know your story, but I know enough people's story in this room that there is nothing I can say from this stage to make you feel better. And that kills me as your pastor. But that's how hard things are in this world. And you know what it's like because people have tried to cheer you up and people have tried to encourage you in their pain and it's been well-meaning and you appreciate it in a certain way, but there's just nothing they can say. There's nothing they can say to overcome the loss and the strife and the sadness and the hurt that you have experienced just this year. The only thing we have in times like that and in lives like these is to look to the suffering servant who is also the resurrected king. This king is worth giving our lives to. This king is worth looking to every day to receive our joy, our peace, the power, everything that we need for our lives. And what he wants us to do is look to him. Stop trying to get out of this pain and this mess and this strife on our own and trust in him. This kind of message and the reality of the resurrection requires some kind of response from us. First, to just receive that good news, receive that power, receive that peace that only can be found in him. This world is too complex to leave here tonight and try to figure it out on our own. A few ways that you can respond. You can ask us to pray for you. You can also join the prayer team up here tonight. They would love to talk more with you, to pray with you after the service. Um, You can find out more about what it means to be a part of this biblical community. You can just contact us and say, hey, I want to talk more about what I just heard tonight. And I would encourage you to do so.